The following programme is a repeat of The Farm Show, which airs Thursday nights on KCLR from 7. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. This is The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you with thanks to TierlawnFarmLife.com. You're very welcome to The Farm Show. Uh, an eclectic mix tonight, all kinds of everything. We'll be chatting to the Chief Veterinary Officer, Martin Blake, in a few moments. Elsewhere, we'll hear about uh, the Nuffield Scholarship, its history and the latest uh, scholarship registrations. Elsewhere, Nigel Kennington will be talking about soil sampling in the coming, over the coming weeks. And we have a very special interviewer, part of a larger interview, actually, with Annie and Desmond Kyo. 70 years farming, 70 years married this week. Congratulations to both of them. We'll hear more anon. First of all, and we rarely manage to have one, but we have a competition tonight and it's very, very simple and straightforward. Kilkenny Agri Machinery are providing 200 euros of a shop voucher and uh, they're based of course at the Hebron Industrial Estate in Kilkenny and uh, it's to promote their uh, demo day out in Clara on next Wednesday August the 2nd starting at about 11am the uh, air code is R95TWR8 and you can see Valtra tractors and McHale machines I actually saw the new Valtra Q305 this evening in action with a butterfly more impressive machines they were too but uh, there'll be all kinds of uh, McHale machines there I'm told horse's mouth at least from the organiser's mouth that there will be 18 tractors and following machines in action uh, just off the Kilkenny Carlow Road about 3 miles out from Kilkenny on next Wednesday so what do you have to do to win 200 euros of a shop voucher with Kilkenny Agri Machinery. Simply text us, prefix it with Agri, text 083-306-9696 with your name, address and phone number and if you're lucky enough to be pulled out before the end of the show, you'll be walking away with a voucher for 200 euros. Martin Blake, Chief Veterinary Officer with the Department of Agriculture. A lot of things happening since we last spoke, particularly Brexit and the impact on animal movements between the two islands. Uh, how, how well is the system working at this stage? Well, I suppose movements, the, the, there wasn't an awful lot of change because intercommunity movement of animals always requires certification and export certification to, to move intercommunity. The one big difference related to the export of horses and the movement of horses from our Ireland to, to GP in particular, there was also big changes on the import side. In the context of all types of products moving, products of animal origin, plants of, products of plant origin and animals moving into Ireland from GB. So that was the biggest change that we had to deal with over the last two, two and a half. There a lot of infrastructure, a lot of resources to be deployed at our border control posts, being Dublin, Rosslare, Dublin Airport, Shannon Airport or whatever, you know. It was an impact on ourselves. It was a big impact on industry. And I, I'd say, fair to say, two and a half years in, things have, have settled down. People have adopted, people know the systems. There, there are a, a, most definitely ad, additional administrative burdens, some additional costs, but people have adopted and it's working quite well at the moment. Now, I'm hearing that there are further, I won't call them restrictions, but enforcement measures due to be implemented by the UK side uh, this coming autumn. Um, uh, how will that impact? How well, how, how well prepared are we? Coming at, coming at the end of October, the, the UK authorities are going to... Uh, 
enforce their import controls uh, in, in a more system, systematic way across all the products, food, food products in particular. And that requires significant uh, investment in time and effort by our exporter, food exporters in particular, and also for ourselves to provide the necessary export certification that's required. I think we're in a much better place now. We have uh, had a lot, you know, we have had, we understand what will be needed generally. We're still waiting for final confirmation from the GB authorities, UK authorities in relation to the exactly what they want. But now we have moved towards more use of electronic certification systems, like they have clarified issues in relation to, you know, the acceptability of different types of uh, of certs. Uh, and we're still working through those issues. So it will be a big change for our ex- our food exporters in particular and for ourselves in relation to providing that certification. Uh, with, the, with the industry, on a number of occasions over the last couple of years, for, for want of a better word, false dawns, the expectation that the British were going to uh, apply these controls. So they, they postponed them on a number of occasions. But it's quite clear now at the end of October they're going to introduce some of these controls and, and maybe enhance those controls over uh, in, in April of next year. So, I mean, there's a job of work there. It's a matter of getting, making sure the industry understands that we understand the, the challenges for ourselves. And, you know, the, no, I expect like there will probably will be teething problems like any new system. We're, we're up for this. We're preparing for this. We have been able to res- respond as necessary, you know, to, to the challenges. Martin, we are, we are living on an island which has to be a help in terms of, of biosecurity, but how, how strong are our biosecurity standards? I'm thinking about the likes of swine fever, for instance. Ash Dyback got in by some means or another, but uh, in terms of prevention of disease entering the jurisdiction, how, how, how well off are we? Well, it's always, you're all, I suppose you'll say your bias link. Uh, but there's different layers of biosecurity, Matt. Like there's, there's elements and things that can be done at, inter- at, at, at a national level. There's issues that can be done regionally, and there's issues that can be done at individual farm level. So I think it's important that you know that we look at those. You know that there's. It's not just one issue. In the context of importing of, 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 of say animals, for instance, like there are certain guarantees we can look at in the context of various diseases. There are other diseases for which there are no certification requirements, but Ireland would be better off not having those diseases. They may be available or, or present in other countries. So response, there's also issues like this we can't control, for instance, birds and, and the movement of birds and things like that. I, I say, like, we have a national biosecurity stand, uh, strategy which we're working with industry. It's, uh, it, it takes into account these various layers, what can be done at border control posts, what certification guarantees we can look for. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I would always say it's the last couple of hundred yards into each individual farm that's critical, that farmers themselves are actually aware of biosecurity because it all for, for we have endemic diseases that people need to ensure that they don't actually import into, into their own farm onto their own farm so it is a work in progress it's um, trying to ensure and continue to deliver that message like that biosecurity is part and parcel of everyday activity and what can be done at individual farm level what can be what we can do at border control posts what we can do in the context of negotiations at, at EU level in relation to looking for additional guarantees in relation to certain diseases but then as I said you have the ability for, for risk to, to be landed into the we see with the avian influenza and the wild birds we can do nothing about the actual migration of wild birds so wild birds will arrive uh, in Ireland they Circulation of virus can happen within wild bird populations, but also it's not just the wild birds. Like we have, like 
risks associated with various vectors such as mosquitoes and midges and, and things like that, which can actually, you know, we have vectors in Ireland which if disease gets in will spread within Ireland. So it's, it's a constant, it's constant risk. Martin, uh, let's get down to the, the, the micro. You, ma- you mentioned, as it happens, the last 100 yards in, in one context, BVD eradication. It's been a huge success at one level in, in terms of bringing it down to the, those last few uh, instances. But the plan was to have it totally eradicated, what, two years ago at least now? Still not there. Where are we? We've made very significant progress. And it's a, t- you know, it's a testament to the actual com- con- commitment of the farmers and the vets across the country to actually do this. I have to be mindful that we're dealing with a biological agent. We're also operating in a situation where we don't want to sort of restrict industry overly such that trade can't happen. But ultimately, movement of animals and, and, and movement of people will actually move disease. And this goes back to what we said earlier in relation to biosecurity. But also, it's important as you get near the end of disease to actually find the residual bits and pieces. And that actually requires a greater effort, not just, you know, you can't sort of say because our disease is now maybe at 100 than it was 10 years ago, that we can actually apply controls that are one hundredth of that severity. So the reality is, as you get towards the end of a disease, you need to double down on, on controls and try to root out the, the actual sor- the remaining sources. There is some reference this year that we have increased numbers of test positive animals. But also, I think it's important to understand we have reduced the number of herds in which these animals are being found. So ultimately, there's a, there's a dynamic of people are... We have reduced the, we've reduced the level of vaccination within the herd as well at the same time. Vaccination gives protection. So if you have these small foci of potential infection which can spread within herds, if those herds have stopped vaccinating in the last couple of years, the, the potential is there for, for more or less a sort of significant spread within that herd. We also see a certain amount of neighbor, neighborhood risk. In other words, like if there's a herd with positive animals in a in our neighbor neighborhood uh, to the, the actual na- neighboring herds, and that's to, to do with you know a certain amount of sort of biosecurity, local biosecurity issues. I think we're we've made very significant progress. Our program has been approved by the EU last year. I, I suspect you know that we by the end of this year we'll have a lot reach the last remaining parameter that we must tick in relation to the number the percentage of herds 0.2% of herds that would be have a positive a positive and a positive test result the big challenge then will be in the context of the ongoing surveillance and if we want to get recognised free of disease at EU level, we'll have to prohibit vaccination. And that's a big, cho- big big, decision to take. And this is something that the actual BVD implementation group are considering over, over the last number of months. And again, currently, what do we do next in relation to 2024? What we've done so far has delivered very successfully. And obviously, there's a certain cost involved. So you're looking at the cost-benefit analysis of various control interventions and you're weighing up the, the you know the, the risk versus reward and relate the spend you might put into that system so i mean I'm, I'm very pleased with the progress i'd be very confident that like in the next couple of years we will have reached a situation where bvd will not be a significant risk to the herd going forward but it doesn't mean we can we can stop surveillance you know so there'll be always be an ongoing surveillance need for, for quite a number of years particularly if we're trading in animals Important yeah, and, animals well. and of course, Martin, there are plans afoot by AHI in, in coordination with yourselves to try and eliminate or at least bring down the incidences of several other viral diseases. How, how important is that strategy to maintain our, our, our export trading protocols? There are a number of issues. I mean, 
the, the one the one that stands out in particular would be IBR because a number of countries at EU level have actually advanced IBR eradication and they'd be countries into which we're actually exporting our moving animals. It's difficult, it's uh, it's costly and, you know, I suppose we need, need to continue to work through with AHI and our technical working group as the various options there. Now, other countries move ahead of you and then you have to provide additional guarantees in the context of actually trading with those and that brings costs, additional costs to the exports. So, so I mean, it's, it's, it's the factor and it's something just we have to continue to be conscious of and work at. Martin, there's been a, yeah. a programme introduced uh, on genotyping. I, I call it a pilot programme, if you like. How beneficial would it be if our entire herd was genotyped? The issue in relation to genotype, it actually gives you powerful information on which you can actually make decisions. So ultimately... The benefits of a genotype is it allows people to make decisions that will actually optimize production, optimize output at farm, optimize, minimize various risks in relation to sort of breeding strategies. So it essentially, it allows people that have that information to make informed choices and make best choices both for themselves and for the industry. One of the big challenges on the, on the, on the bovine side is integration of dairy and beef. We already have made some significant progress in relation to DBI and the CBV values in relation to trying to uh, identify within the beef industry the value of cows being produced on the dairy side. I mean, this will allow the choices being made which will actually optimise that and will definitely drive better integration between dairy dairy and beef. And I think as a country, that's something we just need to continue to actually strive towards. It also gives express traceability and greater assurance in relation to um, parentage, in relation to animals, traceability in relation from a food safety perspective. I, I, you know, it, it informs breeding in the context, actually, the, the climate challenges we have as well in relation to the various traits that might be attributed to, 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 to various parentages. Because, I mean, there's significant variation within breeds in relation to genotype and the various traits within genotype. So once you have that information and you, you know your dam, uh, the genotype of your dam and the genotype of your sire, you can actually make very significant informed choices. So that, that will feed into animal health, food safety, animal welfare, climate and profitability at farm level. Martin, I visited the AgTech uh, pavilion down at the Moor Park Open Day. I was blown away by the range of novel technologies a lot of which I would suggest have application for improving animal health, uh, detection, prevention, and, and so on. The science has given us opportunities to know more and more about how diseases operate, how their traceability, uh, uh, and, and also in relation to diagnostics. I, I suppose animal health, though, uh, if you take it back to basics, a healthy cow will optimize her production. Sometimes we're accepting within the industry sort of subclinical disease, which is not actually seen. So I think some of these technologies in relation to monitors of, of, of animals as, 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 they're, as they're going about their daily work can actually, inform, again, inform better decisions in relation to be it nutrition, be it uh, their, their, their comfort, be it lameness their feed, feed intake, th th those will help in the context of actually animal health, animal production. In relation to diagnostics, uh, we're starting to use more and more whole genome sequencing in the context of, of trying to understand, you know, from herd to herd or from wildlife to, to, to the domestic animals, like what's, the, what, what's happening, where, where is the actual change happening, where is the disease uh, being transmitted. It also is something being used within the food safety traceability side of things to try and understand, like, if there's a salmonella outbreak in, in, a, in a town in Germany, 
what was the origin of that risk? Did it come from Ireland or did it come from Spain? Did it come from the Netherlands or where? Uh, because based on analysis of the you know whole genome sequencing of the of the, the organism, this there powerful tool. It will assist. I mean, all these things will take time to be adopted. And we also need to be, I suppose, careful in the context of actually uh, looking at them from the perspective of the, 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 the welfare of animals as well. And the concept that we're not doing something that impacts on the welfare of animals. That's uh, like if we're not intervening in a way that will actually impact on the welfare of animals as well. So, uh, so I mean, I think exciting times in the context of, of technology indeed. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Now, texts are flowing in. You have to be in if you want to win. 200 euro shop voucher for Kilkenny Agri Machinery on the Hebron Road. Uh, all done in aid of their um, highlighting their demo day in Clara on Wednesday, August the 2nd, just a few miles out the Carlow Road. Text 083-306-9696. Prefix it with Agri and... Uh, give us your name, address and phone number. And if you're lucky enough to be uh, called out at 5 to 8, you'll win that €200 Euro voucher. We're joined by Catherine Lascarette, known to many of our listeners as a former uh, dairy executive for IFA for many years. Catherine, what, over 20 years? 26 years, Matt. That's good going. Laterally, you've set up your own consultancy, Kildara Consultancy, and you have a number of other hats that you wear, uh, such as the executive for the Nuffield Scholarship and chief operations officer for AgTech. But uh, we'll we'll park the AgTech for the moment. I, I want to deal with the Nuffield Scholarship. For those of us who aren't that familiar with it, what does it involve? Okay, so uh, Nuffield Ireland uh, is part of an international network, which is called the Nuffield Organization. Uh, which is represented in over 20 countries around the world. Started out life in the UK back in 1947. I won't go through the history of it. Uh, it's in our website if anyone wants to, wants to investigate. Uh, it was created by Lord Nuffield, William Morris. He of the cars and the, uh, Nuffield tractors later on. And the idea basically is that, um, this is a rural leadership development program for agri-professionals, so farmers or people who are involved in the agri-food sector. And the idea is to provide participants uh, in opportunities to research farming and food systems, markets, techniques, all sorts of topics uh, around agri-food, bearing in mind, of course, that we are in a context uh, these days where the industry's future uh, is going to be in a very changing world where food security and climate action need to be reconciled. So we believe that the Nuffield uh, Ireland programme, which is again part of that uh, international programme, uh, offers huge opportunities for uh, those uh, agri-professionals, farmers and others who want to kind of take a bit of altitude, if you like, relative to uh, day-to-day uh, agriculture and research the more global issues with a view to coming back home with solutions with uh, ideas better practices and that that is really what we what we aim to do so we offer a bursary it looks very attractive on the face of it it's 16000 euro currently uh that goes some of the way i'll emphasize not all of the way but some of the way towards extensive travels accommodation costs etc the program involves at least 9 weeks travel and we encourage as i said applicants uh, to apply each year and our applications are open for this year 
uh, or I should say for 2024. They're open until the 25th of August 2023. We will be interviewing very early in September uh, and then introducing our 2024 scholars at our uh, Nofield Island Conference on the 10th of November 2023. And indeed, at this stage, Catherine, there's a very large cohort of Irish people from the, the general agri sector who have undertaken scholarships. And I, I could reference a few of them, but the late Parig Walsh <clears throat> comes to mind immediately. He did a, a very big study on uh, the whole impact of quotas and uh, the potential to, to grow the, the sector, which all turned out to be absolutely accurate in retrospect. Absolutely. Uh, Porig Walsh uh, and Jim McCarthy were the first two scholars uh, back in 1996. And since then, we now have a cohort of alumni and scholars that are actually currently going through the two year program, which amounts to about 114. So we have uh, we have a nice cohort of uh, of agri professionals in every sector. I know that uh, there would have been a very heavy sort of dairy and livestock uh, emphasis in the early days, reflecting, if you like, the, the realities of Irish agriculture. But in more recent times, uh, there's been a huge amount of diversification in terms of backgrounds, in terms of sectors. So we, we have actually uh, scholars in almost every walk of life, um, you know, every sector of farming, of course, uh, but also various food producers uh, various people who work at very senior levels in policy uh, making organizations, in uh, promotional organizations like Bordbia, the likes of farm organizations, etc. So we have a, a very broad base uh, where we need to work a bit harder is in terms of gender balance. And I would absolutely encourage uh, women out there who think that this would be potentially relevant to them. Uh, do have a look at our uh, application form at our website. Contact us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm easy to contact, exec at nofield.ie. That's very easy to remember. And, uh, you know, just uh, think about it, consider it. Uh, and if you think it's for you, go for it would be my advice. I think anybody who has uh, experienced the Nofield network, I think the network is the strongest aspect of it. You know, you, you get to meet every one of the scholars for your year from anywhere around the world. And that would include people from the UK, of course, from Australia, from New Zealand, from the Netherlands, from France, from Canada, from the US, from Brazil, from Japan, from a variety of, of other South African, South American countries, from Zimbabwe, speaking of South Africa, from Kenya. You know, we have a, a huge array of scholars from every possible origin and the travels that are involved in the program will take you to all these places and beyond to discover yourself, to learn how to uh, engage with other people in other cultures and other agricultures, um, and also to develop yourself both personally and professionally. Um, and, you know, an Ophiel scholar tends to have a really high uh, rating in agri-business uh, circles around the world. Um, you know, Phil Scholar is somebody who is maybe a little bit different, uh, more innovative perhaps than average, uh, and certainly very, very keen to uh, come back home and improve uh, the way in which agriculture, agri-food operates. And when you're dealing with the kind of challenges we're dealing with at the moment, be it uh, climate change, be it, um, um, you know, social license to farm in terms of societal expectations, uh, be it biodiversity, be it water quality, all the issues uh, 
that are being encountered. These are all issues that our scholars are studying uh, in their travels around the world with a view to coming back home with solutions, with, with a view to helping and to improving matters uh, back at home. I would reckon, Catherine, that there are people listening who might say, you know, that could be for me. As, as a prelude to applying, they would need to do a bit of brainstorming, would they, as to a particular topic or area of interest that they'd like to explore? They absolutely would, Matt. That's a very fair point. Um, firstly, you know, some people come to us with a project that, that has been in their heads for quite a while. And other people come to us and we know that they're the right person. And uh, there are a few ideas of topics that they might pick up because they have an interest in. So, yeah, it's important to, to, to do the brainstorming. It's also important to learn a little bit about what Nuffield is about. We have a set of values that have to be uh, lived up to uh, that are, you know, important in terms of respect, in terms of humility, in terms of being willing to learn continuously, uh, to come back home and reciprocate, uh, to, you know, to support one another. So there's actually a very strong set of values involved in the Nuffield uh, ethos. We would encourage people to investigate that. We have a very detailed amount of information on the website. We, which is nuffield.ie, N-U-F-F-I-E-L-D dot I-E. It's easy again to remember. We would also encourage, uh, most people would know uh, Nuffield scholars in their own area. There isn't a single Nuffield scholar that will object to be to, to answer a phone call. So I would certainly encourage, yes, do your own brainstorming, but also get to learn more about what Nuffield is about. Have a look at the reports that our scholars have written. They're all on our website just to see what kind of topics have already been dealt with. Some of them might be areas you're interested in. Find an angle that's somewhat different from what somebody else has done. Or, as I said, you could have a passion uh, that you're really, really very keen to explore. As you said, there is a fair amount of homework to do. If you download the application form, what you will find is that it is quite searching. It asks for a lot of details about you as a person uh, and your career and your personal involvement in community and so on, as well as asking about what your topic is about and how you pr- propose to, to research it uh, and so on. The best thing, as you say, people can do is uh, click on to Nuffield and uh, follow follow the search engine and, and, and explore what's involved. And then if, if it's for you, uh, make contact, proceed from there. Okay. And as I say, don't be shy contacting Nuffield scholars. You know to be Nuffield scholars, even if you don't know them particularly well, they will never object to chatting with you um, if you're a potential candidate. Definitely a worthwhile opportunity out there for someone Uh, that's listening this evening. Catherine, thank you very much for that. The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. Time for our regular check-in with Chagas. Nigel Kennington joins me. Nigel, grass growing very strongly again, but methinks on wetter soils, things might be getting a bit slobbery. Absolutely, Matt. There's been an awful lot of rainfall in the month of July. Some heavier farms, particularly around around gaps and things like that, you would see a little bit of marking being done. But at least the growth has rec- returned, as you said, and has, has left us with the opportunity to, to get plenty of grass into the diet and quality grass, hopefully, into the diet of stock as well. At the moment, it's really just about maximising the quality grass intake and, and setting up a sward that's, that's clean, that we can build grass 
stress on it into the future as we as we look towards the, the August period and, and building into the autumn. So now it offers the, the kind of last opportunity to tidy up any of those airier or, or dirtier paddocks that wouldn't have been cleaned out maybe that well during some of the summer months. Now is the last opportunity really to, to get a clean base on those to, to allow for building grass onto into the autumn. Good to see the, the growth rate return. Conditions a little bit tricky for animals in terms of intakes and things in wet weather as well, but back on track in growth terms. Yeah, and it's a, it's a double demand, I suppose. Uh, some people looking to, to take another cut of silage and after a good growth period, there's a, there's an opportunity out there for that too, because there are deficits, I think, on farms of, of silage. Yeah, absolutely, Matt, and, and quite farm specific too, depending on, on what was left in the yard or not left in the yard after the winter and, and how first cuts have gone as well. So very important at this time of year to, to assess your own fodder stocks as we look at, at that second cut crops coming in to see where you are at now and, and to make a plan as to assess if you have a deficit there now at the moment. To, to know where you're at and to, to have time to react as if, if there is extra fodder needed to be sourced or a plan put in place. So would definitely recommend contacting your advisor maybe to go through a, a fodder budget maybe in the next couple of days or weeks to assess your situation. Absolutely. And talking of assessing situations, you can't optimise grass growth without having the soil right. So soil sampling always a good idea. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I couldn't agree more. Recent analysis by Chagas on the soil samples taken in laboratories that would show a worrying statistic that about one-fifth of Irish agricultural soils are actually at optimum in terms of pH, that's their lime requirement, their phosphorus and their potassium levels. So although that is in 2022, that was actually an improvement on, on the previous year. It does show that there is massive scope for, for improvement nationally in terms of soil fertility and in terms for your listeners in, in Carlow and Kilkenny, the optimum soil fertility status is, is between 25 and 30%. So Huge, huge scope for, for improvements at farm level in terms of improving soil fertility. Everything we do in farming begins with, with the soil and that, that top four inches of soil as in particular it really is the starting point for, for everything we do after that. And if aiming to improve farm performance or, or grass growth, as you mentioned, improving your soil fertility is definitely the, the first place to look to in terms of maximising the growth potential of, of grassland or, or crops either. And, and hopefully in turn that will improve farm profitability. But as in order to, to get on that journey, taking the sample, as you said, to know where you're at is, is obviously the first place. Farms in derogation are, are all well, well used to the fact that they decide sample every four years and have a sample for, for a maximum of, of five hectares or 12 and a half acres of ground. But what we're seeing is, is now that farmers are being a bit more proactive on the whole for soil fertility piece and taking soil samples that bit more regularly. And that's something we definitely encourage as well. A lot of farms now taking samples maybe every, every two years as, as you you know, four years is a long time and a lot can change within four years. So if you want to have a really good handle and an accurate picture on where you're at, sampling that bit more regularly probably will give you that, that useful information. You mentioned the mandatory aspect for some farmers, but obviously it's a good idea for everybody. Absolutely. And it's always been part of our advice to carry out regular soil sampling to assess where you are, regardless of what you're obliged to do. There is a new cohort of farms now as well who are currently after falling into the net of, of being required to take samples. And those are the farms farms that are stocked above 130 kilograms of organic nitrogen per hectare. So that's a stocking rate of anything above really one and a half livestock unit per hectare. They're now required to have soil samples taken in order to be allowed to spread chemical phosphorus or P. So it's only a new requirement that's come in from for 2023. 
and it's going to be quite important from a cross compliance perspective also as, as you know a lot of those inspections will take place in the in the latter part of the year from from now on and to have your house in order as in in light of those inspections important that you have soil samples taken and that you as you have a nutrient management plan they show that you have a need for for any of the phosphorus that would have been applied earlier in the year or that will be applied between now and the and the middle of september and also for for tillage farmers all tillage fields now have a requirement if you're going to if you're going to be spreading chemical p on those you need to have a, a soil sample to show that requirement so just to be aware of those requirements as you said but from a maximizing efficiency point of view as you as you mentioned matt it's a must anyway regardless of the compliance piece yeah just a, a couple of questions let's start with the very basic thing i have a five acre field how many samples do I need out of that field uh, to, to get a representative sample? Yeah, well, I say the maximum you can put into one sample is is the five hectares, which would be 12 and a half acres. But in terms of the actual management of a field, if it's a five acre field and that's the way you manage it, one sample wouldn't be a bad thing to know where you're at in terms of being able to tackle any issue that would be in that particular field. The pH is probably one of the places we'll always start with, Matt, in terms of improving the, the soil fertility of a particular farm. And we always target in grassland situations a pH of, of 6.3. But going forward now where we're looking more to, to clover and incorporating more clover into swords, we'll actually target a, a slightly higher pH of, of 6.5 in terms of getting good establishment of that clover and, and helping it to persist into the future as well. So again, knowing where you're at in terms of your, your pH is going to be important in that light and getting the correct pH will, will also improve the availability of other really important nutrients in the soil. And also going forward where we're, we're looking at future allowances for fertilizer being potentially reduced and, and the introduction of a fertilizer register going forward. As always, it's, it's really important that we maximize all the nutrients that we do apply on the farm in terms of getting the most potential out of grass growth and crops as well so like ph as i mentioned is probably the starting point and and sometimes if there's a, a tendency to maybe leave lime application till later on in the year and it's oftentimes what you will see is maybe weather and ground conditions can deteriorate at that stage and maybe the window to apply lime can get very small as you would have seen last year in particular as when the back end got got very wet very quick so there's no real bad time to get lime out after as you mentioned silage cutting maybe it'll be going on at the moment or, or in the next while for a lot of people it offers a great opportunity to get a large area of ground spread together in one go when it's when it's cleaned off after the last cut of the year and also as, as we look towards the autumn time as rotation lengths will start to extend as we as we go into middle of august and onwards it offers a, a larger window to get out a bit of lime on the, on the grazing paddocks as well so never a bad time as i said it's just to make a plan in place and put it in place to, to get the lime out in that scenario. What's the kind of time scale, Nigel, between taking a sample, delivering it into yourselves or whoever and getting the results back with a plan of action? From the time of taking the sample, generally in the lab, you'll be looking at maybe this time of year wouldn't be the, the busiest. So maybe two to three weeks, you should have your results back. And as I said, we can we can do up a man nutrient management plan for you then to show you what nutrients are, are suitable to apply to your farm and what's going to give you the best response. As well, there's maybe a cohort of farmers out there who would have applied for, for the department liming program to get the subsidy on, on lime spread on their farm. And it's important that they would have soil samples as well to assess what the requirement is for their own farm to avail of that scheme also KCLR No, Desmond and Annie Kyo uh, you, you're married 70 years yeah. 1953 right. and you moved to the farm in Gorn uh, when you got married yes. Desmond first describe the farm at the time The farm at the time was we moved in it was set for two years 
And we, so we, our first years were very difficult because we hadn't any income coming in. And uh, then the cheapest way that you could find that time to get into it was tillage because you could get the seed and fertilizer at the mill and the money was stopped when you delivered the, the grain. And we did that. And then we had got a few cows and came up by degrees after that. And that's where we were milking by hand, of course, at that time, as most people were. And we tilled the whole place. Some fields, you know, the lad said, uh, never seen a till before. And there were massive crops on it. And we grew a good bit of sugar beet, up to oh, about 18 acres of sugar beet. And then beginning that. That's a lot of and as well. That's make a bit of money to get going. Now, there was a lot of things we had to do because... It hadn't been farmed for a few years. After a few years, then you got into cows. Yes, yeah. yes. How we, many cows initially? We went, so oh, we, we went. We went up to we had sixty-two or something, and we had twenty in calf heifers. We bought them average. Yes. When did you start uh, a milking machine? When, when, when was oh, the first milking machine oh. here? When we went to twelve. No, when we went to over twelve cows. We bought a milking machine. A bucket plant. A bucket plant. For about three or four years. And then we put in a milking parlour down the yard. And uh, we milked in that for, I suppose, 20 years. And we built the other one. The herringbone. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, the other one's a lot more modern than the other one. The other one, you went up steps. And uh, and they were all right, but um, they're better on the ground. Annie, you did... A number of different enterprises over the years. Yes. Well, uh, tell me about poultry. some of those. Well, poultry, yeah? Poultry, yes. Egg, eggs for eggs. For eggs, yes. Yeah. For, uh, we supplied to um, Brandon Hatchery in Great Namana at that time. The hatchery, when they were at that time, went looking for people. They wanted at least three uh, kind of jointly running. You, you started with day olds, so you weren't supplying eggs for... So for the length of time until they were ready and you went into production then and the, the other end after two years a little over two years the hens started to go back and it whipped them all out and the others were ready to come so that was the circle we were in that circle until the hatchery like Brandon Hatchery man at that time and, and tell me turkeys any how yeah, did you turkeys? We got the first white turkeys that came into Shannon Airport uh, from America and we started with them. But I was never a turkey fan. Well, 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 <laughs> we had turkeys in a big way all right for a while. Go back to the beast. 18 acres of beast yeah. back then would have been well, hugely okay. laborious because oh, no mechanisation. Oh, no. Everything was yeah, heavy labour. And I took 30 pounds upon the seed to sow an acre. And uh, when they brought in the carticated, it went down to four pounds. Yeah, because it had to be tinned yes. and weeded and all, and all by hand. And then, then water had to be done. You had to pull the bees and yes. top it by hand. Yeah. And an acre had gone with a couple of lads. And they were able to pull an acre and beat in the day. But it had to be loaded onto trailers then and brought in. Yeah, yeah and, and some of the time they wouldn't bring it in right away. They'd make mounds of it and cover them with the leaves. But that's if you couldn't bring it in, yeah. you brought it in. And, but a lot of it was done that way. 
and uh, then we loaded the railway station. When did you get a tractor here now in Gordon? We got the first tractor as well. The third year we were here. Right, 19, about 1956. Oh, yeah. It was a Ford. He used petrol to start her, but it hadn't uh, hydraulics. Yeah, the plough, the trail and plough, and everything else was more or less the same. Disc, harrow, and all that kind of thing. Tell me about some of the big things that happened over the years. The mart was formed in Kilkenny. Yes, mart was formed. Yeah. You were involved in that, Desmond. I was, I was. The mart was a great development. Oh, oh it was, yeah. In a way, it went to the right place. Where they were building the original one, that was all right. But they were very limited and difficult to get in from areas. Now it's, now it's, 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 it's a great premises, it's it is. Yeah. Yes. And the farm relief services, you you, you were very oh, involved in, in, in right. setting up yes. those. Annie had a, yeah. a lady section, but that didn't work. But Annie, the, the farm relief service was yes. a, a huge development oh, for farmers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, really, oh, really uh, helped yes. people get time off. Oh, for sure, yes. yes. Set it up. And of course, so, you, you were very involved in the in the farmers' rights campaigns oh, yes. in the nineteen sixties. Oh yes, we sure were, Matt. We sure well. I can still remember going down. He was thin and beat on his hands and knees up there on the side of the hill, and I remember we got word from that. I heard they were going to Mullins's. So, needless to say, my neighbour was down there. She was my neighbour from home, you know. So we went down there. A guy tried to stop me going in. He said, you can't go in there. I said, just you try and stop me. So he moved. <laughs> <laughs> and when I got in there, there was the reporters and all these newspaper people all around the place, everywhere. And they'd taken out all the furniture. And even the fridge they moved, took the food out with oh, them yeah, and left in her everything. Oh, she was oh, she was in a ton of Anyway. She was a great, a great woman, really. So the two of us stood there. We hadn't even anything to make it. They took the electric kettle and took everything. She had a stove. So we found a saucepan and made ourselves a cup of tea. But that's all that was left in the house. Every single thing was taken out. Now, and congratulations to Desmond and Annie on 70 years of marriage. Uh, just you have about two minutes. If you want to enter that uh, competition, text 083-306-9696 uh, to win a 200 euro voucher from Kilkenny Agri. That's uh, Kelly's of Kilkenny in Boris, obviously. And... Uh, Get it in, get your name, address, phone number and uh, put on the text AGRI so we'll know where to direct it and uh, you'll, get a, you'll, you'll get a shout out in a couple of minutes. Next thing, Eric's Sheep Report. Noticeable difference here in the trade today in Tullow with over 2,500 sheep on offer. Looking to the heavy lambs then again. They're holding very positive here amongst what is a very weakening trade for the lighter type, the factory type lambs here. The best prices there, 48, 52, 53 kilos, well-fleshed lambs selling in there from anything from 170 up to 184 and 5 in a good lively trade. While we would see the, the factory type lambs then, those 42 to 46, 7 kilos, they're selling in the region there from 120 up to 133 and 4 there and uh, maybe some very well-fleshed lots there of those 46, 7 kilos pushing into the mid-140s. While we would see the store lamb trade here is somewhat easier but then again prices are relaxing. Uh, looking to the stores then those mid-30 kilos there in to the 95 and 6 up to 104 and 5 with the 30, 31 kilos. Probably the best price per kilo here. They're selling anything there from the mid 80s up to 90 euros. While well, we go then to the cash yo trade, no great change here. The good heavy yo's there, lots of demand for them up to 230 euro ahead there with the store yo's selling there from 170 to 180 a kilo. And the brew jo ring then, hoggets yo's upwards of 220 with lots of hoggets there between 190 and 200. But overall, trade weakening here factory starting to pull it make a strong demand on price here and it's very effective in the ring thank you 
The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com. KCLR Mart Report. Sponsored by Kilkenny Livestock Mart. Serving the farming community for over 60 years. And just before we go to George, take anyone out of their uh, agony and, and wonder. No point in a preamble. Mick DeWire from The Roar has won our €200 Euro farm voucher uh, from uh, Kilkenny Agri and we'll be in contact with you to get that uh, to you. Congratulations, Mick. George, it's all over to you. There's not one for everyone in the audience. Afraid not. This is right. not the late, late show. <laughs> Anyway, today in Kilkenny, yeah, a little bit of a, a quietening for the beef bullocks there. I suppose you're talking about a price range here from two euro to three eleven for the top notch, or from a thousand euro to uh, two thousand euro per head. The five to six hundred kilo bullock from two oh five to three sixty per kilo, or from that's our exceptional cattle there, eleven hundred euro to nineteen hundred euro per head with a four to five hundred kilo from one seventy to three forty five per kilo, or from uh, eight hundred euro to fourteen fifty per head. Under four hundred kilo range in price here from one sixty to three sixty per kilo, or from four hundred euro to eleven fifty per head. A very good trade for the cold cows. Uh, Frisian cold cows from one one hundred five to two forty per kilo, with the continentals from one forty to two seventy. Once again, the cow trade baffles me uh, with quotes in the factories slipping all the time. I'm not not quite sure why we had such a strong trade, but we'll take it when we're getting it. Beef heifers once again a good solid trade here from two thirty to three hundred four per kilo, uh, 1,500 euro to 1,950 per head. Four so heifers from 2 euro, uh, 2 euro 20 to uh, 2 euro 65 to 70, 270 per kilo, should I say, or from 950 to 1,430 per head with the lighter types from 180 to 3 euro per kilo or from 500 euro to 1060 per head. So Matt, a bigger sale, 750 on offer, about 100 more than this time last year and uh, trade very good for the cold cows and, and, and heifers and uh, just a week because, as you know yourself, reading the the, the agri articles, uh, the factories are constantly pulling the price by uh, so much per per, per 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 kilo. Five cent gone off it again this week, and once again, I feel that um, they may be shooting the messenger because a lot of farmers who do uh, feed those forward store cattle to beef may think, is it is it worthwhile? Absolutely, yeah. and they'll be yeah. needed yet. It's all right when they have them coming out of feedlots, but uh, they'll come a day when they'll need them, and maybe they won't be there in, in, in as many exactly. numbers. Exactly, and I, I feel it's a short-sighted on the factory's behalf. If they could uh, give instill a bit of confidence, it's badly needed. On the sheep front, a smaller sale, 450 on offer, but a good trade for the butcher lamb, 148 to 178 per head. The factory lamb from one 125 to 145 per head. And we had a good, sam- a good scatter of uh, store lambs, unusual for Kenny from 80 euro to 111 euro per head and the cull uh, used there from 70 to 173 now uh, our diary on Saturday next the Ballyragan production he- uh, sale that's a pedigree Hereford herd there's about 40 lots on offer there and that will include uh, in calf uh, uh, cows cows with cows at foot and heifers with cows at foot and that's next Saturday in Killen Hill 29th of July at 1 o'clock and there's uh, an impressive uh, bull with a great pedigree as, as part of that sale the last uh, the last 
one to be auctioned, I think. Yes, indeed. And uh, that, that takes place on Saturday. On Monday next, we have a general sheep sale and on uh, also our calf sale. So if you have calves, bring them along. They'll be sold at 1pm. And on the uh, 8th of August, that's Tuesday, the 8th of August, after the bank holiday Monday, we have the Pedigree uh, Belge, uh, I beg your pardon, Pedigree Belclare sale. That's the uh, nationwide sale. 100 rams an offer there, plus about 50 ewes. Show and sale of breeding ewes on Monday, the 21st of August, and entries invited for that. And we're looking for weaning bulls. If anyone has decent weaning bulls out there, Continental specifically, Charlie, Limousin, Belgium Blue, and you're anxious to sell, uh, just ask them out for my number. I, I might have a, a pleasant surprise for you in uh, some people looking for those uh, for export. Good stuff. Do you know, the, there was just something I was thinking when you were talking there about the quality lots and that and coming from the, the, the suckler herd. In fairness to Chagisk, and I'm not here to defend them, they can defend themselves, God knows, but uh, they're getting called out for supposedly suggesting that the, the suckler herd should should be reduced. I think all they were doing was analysing ongoing trends showing reductions year on year in the suckler herd and that's not quite the same thing you No, know? there has been a natural reduction there Matt, as I said. It's, Unfortunate it's, but Unfortunately and ironically enough and you know yourself that you talked about this programme, they were involved in sucklers now they're in dairy and they are top notch dairymen. There was actually walks on their farms, Mr Sheehan out in t- you know yourself, he he was a magnificent suckler farmer. A good farmer is a good farmer A good farmer is a good farmer. So, so all but it is a shame that the prim, the creme de creme of beef, which is from the suckler herd, is not being uh, paid for, number one. And there's not really a living in it. Uh, part-time farmers are there, as you know, and uh, might suit them. But uh, on a constant basis, if they see they're going to lose money, they're going to give up that enterprise also. And the same with the sheep. There's a lack of confidence in the sheep industry at the moment also. Yeah, and whatever people, uh, a lot of people don't seem to realise uh, on vast swathes of the country, sucklers and sheep are the most suitable livestock and and don't go near tillage. That's out of the question. Yeah, well, you go you go to the west of Ireland. Fragmented you know, land, fragmented heavier land, land. All over the place, heavy yeah. land, etc. And, and it's part-time ideal farming, for it suits it. It's ideal for sheep, etc. But as someone said to me, by Ginny George, sheep have an awful lot of hands-on job. And they are. There's a lot of hands-on I mean, it's every day you're looking at sheep. There could be there could be a problem. You have the dose. You have to do their feet, etc., etc. So it's not simple. And uh, Then again, um, uh, dairy at the moment, of course, with the, with the drop in prices, uh, isn't as attractive as it has been heretofore but hopefully going forward there will be uh, a better a better uh, place for that absolutely uh, I want to thank Martin for producing and engineering and for everyone who contributed congratulations to Mick Dwyer from The Roar on winning the 200 euro voucher from Kelly's uh, Kilkenny Agri and uh, last but not least congratulations again to Desmond and Annie Kyo celebrating 70 years of marriage for me Matt O'Keefe until next week farm well farm safely good night and goodbye The Farm Show on KCLR with Matt O'Keefe. Brought to you by TierlawnFarmLife.com.